Hello, and welcome to the Pandemic Pastoral Podcast Season 2, The Coronavirus Strikes Back. As always, I'm joined by my very capable, uh, very talented, uh, and very pastoral host, uh, Rob. Rob, how's your week been? Uh, yeah, it's been okay, thanks, Alex. Not, not too bad. Good. That's the spirit. That's what we want to hear on this podcast. We want to hear <laughs> yeah. happy, upbeat. No, we don't. We want people to be honest. Uh, we want people to be real. We want people to be keeping it 100, as they say. 100. I've never heard anyone say that before, but I like oh, it. Really? Uh, that's, that's a very popular expression, probably more so in America. I'm just saying, so I'm not down with the kids anymore, Alex. I, I don't know these things. <laughs> so essentially, our podcast is very much taking the global approach to cracking down on the, on the coronavirus, which is that we'll keep going because the rest of the world is still doing this. I love it. Yeah, as long as there's a pandemic, there is a pandemic pastoral podcast. (laughs) Yeah, and after that, it might just be a different pastoral podcast. It might be the panda pastoral podcast because it's a panda (laughs) in our logo. But we'll we'll just see. We'll just see how it goes, and we'll play by ear. And if we feel like we've run out of good stuff to say, then we'll stop, and we won't hurt your ears anymore. But if we've got something good to say, and there's still a lockdown, well, we'll try and push you through it. Now, we've had a particularly good couple of weeks uh, here in the UK in terms of how successful the NHS's um, rollout of the the, the vaccines have been. I must also say, I do apologize for the background sounds. Uh, It's not that um, a feral monkey has been released from its cage and is literally going bananas. Uh, It's merely my two-year-old. But yes, so uh, the vaccine rollout, I think, has been uh, very impressive. I think the NHS... Uh, always deserves our, our our kind of gratitude and praise anyway. But I think their uh, efficiency at, at kind of hitting, what is it, 20 million people or whatever the latest figures are. Uh, I haven't seen it, but it is it's, truly it's a really big number. Stratospheric. Yeah, I'm, I'm so in awe, really, of all that they're doing. Uh, you know, my, my dad had his vaccine probably about, well, about three weeks ago now, and the process was so efficient, so streamlined, so friendly, so quick, so easy, um, and it, it was just great. And, uh, you know, if, if, if it carries on at the, at the pace that it's going right now, we're already seeing, you know, the numbers of infections dropping uh, as that transmission is reduced by the vaccine, which is just absolutely fantastic it is it's one of the great things about the vaccine is that it is actually having an effect on the spread and we're really privileged to be in that position because there's a lot of countries where that isn't the case where they haven't managed to roll out the the vaccine yet and you know there's all kinds of questions around that and around the inequality that uh, perhaps is is uh, happening because of covid vaccines not being available to a whole bunch of people in the world but we just have to acknowledge that we're really privileged to have the NHS and, and to have access to these incredible vaccines that people have worked so hard on, uh, you know, just just got them sorted in a remarkable amount of time, really. We are, like you say, we're in a very fortunate position mm. that we've had, I think it is 20 million now here in the UK. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, it's so, you know, I think encouraging to hear these stories of, of family members or especially older family members because they are working from the, the very oldest down to the very youngest. Um, uh, it's so encouraging to hear these letters coming through for people and becoming a reality for so many people, because then you know it's, it's, you don't have to worry about them. 
You know, it's a great it's relief. A, you know, perfect. if you have elderly folks or, or relatives or, you know, you, you're worried about your grandparents or whatever, it's just the speed of this rollout has been such a, I think, a blessing to our communities because we're all worried about people. We always have somebody that is in our minds, you know, whether it's a relative or just somebody that you really love that's in that high risk category. And it's not just ages, you know, it's, it's people with um, debilitating medical conditions that are ongoing. They've been so good at rolling those vaccines out to them as well. I just think it's phenomenal the way that they've done it. Yeah, I'm really impressed. I can't wait. Uh, nothing makes you aware of your age more than when you realize when you're going to be vaccinated. <laughs> <So> <laughs> when you realize it's soon, you're like, wait, does that make me old? Oh, man. It's so, also a sign of being an adult, though, isn't it? That you're actually looking forward to a vaccination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember as a kid thinking to myself, this is the most terrible thing that's ever going to happen to me in my life. And now with hindsight, not so much. It's a really good thing. Yeah, as a kid, it's just something that's a part of your normal life is you get jabs for something or another at some point. And then as an adult, the only time you really need a jab, actually, is if you're you know, I do quite a bit of traveling for work and sometimes you've got to go and get like a yellow fever thing or something. Uh, and that's it. So it's kind of weird and exciting to be back in that position where someone's kind of sticking needles in you. Of course, not everyone <laughs> likes the <laughs> idea of having needles stuck in them. Uh, uh, I, I always love how nurses kind of look at you very closely and will ask you kind of very nicely sort of, do you get faint? Do you, <laughs> you know, I'm always like, no, this isn't a problem. Um, I think it's probably best for us to uh, discuss uh, some of the reasons that uh, people might have for not uh, being excited uh, to get that letter, because I would say the vast majority of people are very much looking forward to that letter or that call or the text, whatever, however the NHS does it. But there are people for whom they, they're not looking forward to that. And they, they have reasons, don't they, Rob? They have reasons. Yeah. And, you know, some people have good reasons, some people not so good reasons, um, but people have reasons. And usually it's down to the information that they have at hand. Um, and we just know that in the information age where information is in abundance, there's a whole bunch of information being thrown at, it, at us, uh, some of which probably comes from fairly spurious sources, but it's not always easy to tell the difference. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've heard all kinds of effectively just myths about the coronavirus uh, uh, vaccine and, you know, real concerns that have become huge, uh, some of which are questions that really need to be answered. Um, but some of which are just bonkers, to be honest, they're just right out there and, you know, you always get that. You always get a a small group of society that have a giant conspiracy theory that is actually quite ludicrous, but usually they don't have such a big voice. But what we found in recent years is through the rise of social media, they almost have equal voices as everybody else. And so you get all of this information thrown at you. And I think the challenge is how to filter, you know, how do you respond when some questions are good questions? about the coronavirus and the rollout and, and how the vaccine is safe and et cetera. They're very logical, good questions, especially being asked by parents with children or, or people who are looking after parents that are elderly, that kind of thing. But you're, you're also getting some of this like wacky stuff that's thrown at you. And it's very easy to respond to, to, to almost all of it as if none of the questions were legit. And so I thought, you know, it's probably, probably quite a good idea for us to just acknowledge that there are some good questions out there but also just to kind of let you know that, you know, there are answers to a lot of those questions as well. 
um, provided by by medical boards, medical professionals, the NHS themselves. And I think I think that's important. You know, where you're getting your information that causes you to ask the questions is really important. Absolutely. And that's a, a very nice way of dividing uh, the types of concerns that people have into those two types of groups. That's generally tied in our society towards this movement from a society that took what was said in authority to be uh, the truth and to be something you just accepted as a group, as a community. If you know those in charge said something as a group, we went, yep, okay, cool, we'll, off we go, we'll go do that. And that as a society has shifted away, we've become that, that cult of the individual has grown up, that cult of the self-actualized soul uh, has grown up. And so uh, modern people, all of us included, anyone, frankly, post the Second World War, uh, it's become more of a case where you only believe something if you yourself think it's true. So somebody can't tell you it's true. You yourself have to see it as being true. In other words, you've made this internal decision yourself that it is that way. And so you can have a doctor in a, in a, in a shiny white coat to tell you, you know what, this is good for you, you should do this. But as we are at the moment, our understanding is, okay, great, thank you for that. But until I think it's true, until I feel it's true, it won't be true. You know, one of the one of the benefits of living, uh, you know, in, in many Western countries where you have a voice is that you have the freedom to, to kind of say your beliefs and stick to your beliefs. One of the disadvantages of that is that everybody gets a say in things that they don't know anything about. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a weird thing. And I think in some ways it's like it's a Western thing that's kind of spread with, you know, the whole movement moving from a, well, the church told us this, but science is telling us this, therefore the church is irrelevant and science is, is, is uh, the new way forward. And then not that long after that, they decided, no, well, actually truth is relative because you can never really see it from every perspective. And so all truth is relative. So science is like one way of seeing things, but then there's another way of seeing things, um, which I won't, I won't get into tons of that either. And then we seem to have moved into an even like post uh, postmodern kind of era where actually truth itself is not just irrelevant, not not just uh, re relative. It's almost irrelevant to people because it's become it's become almost intrinsic in us to just kind of have faith in what we want to have faith in, regardless of what other people might be telling us. Um, and I just think it's a slippery slope, really. You know, I think I think the Enlightenment era was important for us because it, it kind of showed the importance of science. I think it was a misunderstanding of faith and the elements of science coming from faith, really, essentially. You know, the first universities came out of theological seminaries because, you know, some of the early physicists and scientists, etc., were basically trying to explore the things that they believe God had made. Um, I think it was Kepler who said, you know, we're thinking the thoughts of God after him, uh, which, you know, is just a perfect example of how, you know, science and faith are not enemies. They're actually meant to coexist. There's no question about that because they ask different questions of the world around us and, and uh, that sort of thing. But this is a weird time to be living in a time where it's like faith is relative rather than something that's revealed to us with evidence and science is relative rather than something that's based on very objective facts and principles that you can observe about the known universe. 
I, we're just in a weird time. Yeah, I remember at, at university having these late night discussions and I remember having a, a, a ongoing debates with a friend who was, he was a, a agnostic atheist somewhere in that world. And, uh, and he said to me, look, you know, the, the time of religion as a authoritative figure is over. We are moving towards, you know, where science and, and rational thinking, that will be the key, that'll be the future. And because, you know, it, it can be objectively proven and there's no way that isn't going to be dismissed. And I remember <laughs> last year or the year before, <laughs> he sent me a, a message saying, hey, do you remember those conversations we used to have? And I said, yeah, I remember them. And he went, look, so here's the thing. I just wanted to say, uh, I'm sorry, because it turns out that even with a whole bunch of science and a whole bunch of, you know, objectively proven things, uh, people are are still unwilling to believe that. So I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I guess as a minister of religion, this is something that I, you know, I face on a regular basis is that how do you, how do you help people to, I suppose, investigate faith, which in in my view should always have enough evidence to suggest that the thing you're believing in is real but at the same time, helping them to also explore things for themselves, not just listen to somebody because they're telling them something, but to explore it for themselves, to be scientific about their approach to the Bible, to be scientific and uh, about their approach to, to the decisions that they make with their life. Um, but how do you do that in a world that rejects faith because, you know, things are not discernibly provable, but then also rejects discernibly provable science? Uh, yeah. and it, you just can't win that argument. So I think basically we've gone a long way around saying that, that you know, we, we have some really great questions uh, that people are asking about the coronavirus vaccine, and we've also got some really terrible ideas that people are spreading about the coronavirus vaccine. And so we want to myth bust today a little bit and just kind of say, hey, if you've heard all of these sort of questions, here are some good ones and here are some good answers. But also, if you've heard some of the crazy stuff, please don't panic. Not everyone is crazy. <laughs> that is so true. Okay, so the most common one that, that is often said about vaccines is obviously the one which says that vaccines cause autism. I've heard it so many times around, you know, the schoolyard, the playground, you know, parents talking. And, and that has been disproven so many times now that uh, because it's, it's the biggest cause for uh, parents not vaccinating their children. So there's so many studies and so many uh, papers published that prove that, that, that vaccines don't in any way, not even like in any way. It's like saying vaccines will make you like Marmite. You know, it's, it's like, it's so not true. Uh, and yet, and yet it's still a pervasive there is no truth in it whatsoever, and yet there it is. So if anyone does listening to this does think, oh, well, I guess vaccines cause autism, they categorically, emphatically don't. I can imagine how distressing that would be for a parent trying to make that decision. And there are so many parents that are in that kind of boat of hearing something about vaccines in general, not just the, the COVID one, but all vaccines. It's an interesting thing to think about the health service that you trust with almost everything else in your life. Uh, but these issues become like giant kind of issues to us. And we think, well, actually, they don't know what they're talking about. And I kind of think to myself, we know that science makes mistakes. 
we also know that diseases like polio get eradicated because of vaccines. So, yeah, for me, it's just it's it's about being a responsible parent It's not just about being really concerned about your child's welfare, but being concerned enough to to really do the due diligence and research and trust people that you can trust for other things. Because why would you trust a doctor to diagnose you with a disease, but not to tell you that a vaccine is safe? I just I just don't get that dynamic. Um, it's kind of a selective superstition because it doesn't hold up logically because you don't apply it to other areas of medicine and you don't even apply it to the things you eat or buy off the shelf. And that's the thing about superstitions. That's, that's exactly the thing. They're called superstitions because they don't necessarily make sense, but there's like an internal feeling of insecurity yeah. that you get because you don't do something a certain way or because you do do something that you feel yeah. like you shouldn't be doing. Or, and I mean, that, that is something. And, and people... I find it interesting because people often associate religion with superstition and they directly connect the two. Well, actually, if you look at any major religion in the world, it's a move away from superstition to verifiable things. Yeah. Um, and so that's a big difference between religions uh, and almost like animist cultures where superstition kind of reigns. Absolutely. Um, so I thought we'd, we'd skip on to a few more um, yep. myths that, that are very happily uh, out there. Uh, yep. One of them is that uh, natural immunity is somehow better than a vaccine-acquired immunity. In other words, if you want to get immune to a disease, go and hug and kiss a person with that disease, and you will develop immunity because you know you'll you'll get ill, but you'll kind of get over it. Um, and of course, that's not how diseases work. Uh, if you <laughs> deliberately get COVID from somebody or you deliberately get polio from somebody or deliberately get measles or whatever it is from somebody, sure, there's a chance you'll overcome it. But your odds are the same as anybody getting the disease. And since those diseases are uh, and the reason why we're vaccinating against them and not just you know, mild headaches is because they're deadly. Yeah. We vaccinate against the things that are life-shattering that that kill you uh, whereas a vaccine getting a vaccine means you're going to have a much better chance of surviving the disease that's why we vaccinate people yeah and I, I think you know here in the uk we've really seen an example of that because of course our approach was pretty slow and pretty late uh, because there was a whole conversation around what they called herd immunity and that we were all going to catch it get over it and then it wouldn't come back again Mm. Um, and the science did not support that. And so we as a nation have, I think it's the highest uh, rate in Europe of infection, uh, simply because we were slow to delay the infection being spread and to lock down even long ahead of having the virus because it just it was not the best plan. And there were many reasons for that. I'm not I'm not making a political statement about this, but I think what we've seen in hindsight is that that has been shown to be verifiably not the way to go. Absolutely. And there is buried in, in that sort of, in those numbers, uh, uh, when it comes to people's concerns about vaccines, this concern that, uh, you know, you could have allergic reactions because some people have had allergic reactions. And that's absolutely true. For every vaccine that's ever been created for the ones that you get when you're a little baby, there is a small percentage of the population who will have a negative reaction. Um, but the negative reaction is almost always um, bad headaches, things like that. It is not, oh, you got it and then you died. And will there be one person in you know, 10 million who, for whom that did happen and, and there were underlying complications? Perhaps. But at no point does that ever outweigh 
the phenomenal um, kind of protection that the vaccine will give to the millions of other people. And so, yes, it's, it's subjectively true that some people will have negative reactions to uh, a vaccine, but the numbers are so low that it's not a good enough reason to not get the vaccine for an entire population. So it's, it's important to bear that in mind. We all get scared by stories because we know stories of maybe people that we know that have had a bad reaction to something. But how many people do we know that have not had a bad reaction to something? And, and they don't talk about it because it's kind of given. It's, it's, it's taken for granted because the vast majority of people do not react that way to, to, to any kind of immunization or vaccine of any kind. You know, we know that in the past, uh, some medicines and, and vaccines and things that have been released were released too, too early for the science to have really done due diligence. I, d- I just don't think that's anywhere near as likely anymore because the amount of paperwork and the amount of oversight for any drug that's released onto the market is absolutely massive. Mm. Um, which leads us to another really legitimate question. How did we get our COVID vaccine so soon? Yeah. And is it not safe because of that? Uh, which actually I think is one of the best questions you can ask because that really does make sense to me. It is a, it is a sensible question. Um, but actually the answer is sensible and simple too, which is that you can imagine how difficult it is for any pharmaceutical company to develop a medicine where basically you're looking for volunteers for trials. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly want to be experimented on very regularly for for a, some medical trial. There's not a lot of people that are jumping at the bit to do that because, A, their life is not necessarily threatened by whatever it is that they're being test with, tested with. And so exposure to it was not something they were going to have. Well, COVID is different because they, you know, they had hundreds, hundreds of thousands of adults that would, would come forward to, to be tested for this because it's a global pandemic. You know, I think I think people realized it was a genuine threat to their lives. And, you know, the, the, the governments would have thrown their weight behind it. There's, there's a huge amount of uh, impetus to try and find a vaccine for something that the world has never faced before. So they were able to do the vaccine quickly because they were able to do the testing much more quickly than they normally do. Um, and of course, the government asked for data from a whole bunch of us, you know, about our COVID experience and and loads of people gave information because they didn't have any information, but they got it pretty quickly. And that's how, you know, the symptoms that were initially kind of put up as the, like the main ones of coronavirus, they changed very quickly after the first sort of three months because they noticed that certain symptoms were trending much more than others. Then they discovered more variants, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that this has happened quickly to me is not an indication of, of the fact that the vaccine is unsafe because they've rushed it through it's an indication of the colossal amount of effort and support that's actually gone into finding this, the money that was thrown at it, the willingness of people to take those tests because their life depended on it. And when you think about it like that, and you still realize they still had to go through all the same guidelines, all the same checking procedures that every other medicine does, it was just done faster because they had the resources to do it faster. Um, and it's also too important to remember that the, the more people are vaccinated, it's not just that more people are safe. It means that the disease stops spreading. And the reason why that's a good thing is because the more a disease spreads, the more it has a chance to change. And the fact that we've got these different strains that are now popping up, the Brazilian strain and the South African strain, all these, these strains that love to travel, uh, it's only because uh, it changes. 
every, I think it's something like every 200 million transmissions, the virus starts to change again, it mutates. And so the sooner uh, we're all vaccinated, the sooner that it doesn't have a chance to do anything, the better our chances of that it doesn't mutate into something really bad. In other words, very, very contagious and very, very lethal. And of course, it's true that some people can't get vaccinations for health reasons. There are people who can't. So stopping the spread is actually crucial for their sake, you know, because if you're in the unfortunate position of not being able to to take a vaccine, uh, you know, may either you're allergic to it or, or there's some other health complication, what you really need is everybody who's able to take a vaccine to do so so that the spread is far less likely to be, you know, so severe that everywhere you go, there's a risk to your life. One of the, one of the other concerns uh, that uh, there is about vaccines uh, in general, but also this one, is uh, that there is a sort of fear uh, about what goes into a vaccine, uh, some of the chemicals used to make vaccines, to make them um, kind of operate the way they do, but also uh, that they are, because they have to be, you know, you can transport them all over the world and they can be used in a variety of conditions. So they often contain things which on paper sound very sort of unusual, things like formaldehyde and, and mercury and aluminium, all kinds of like unusual things. And I, I've heard that said so many times that, well, I, I don't want to put anything crazy into my body, um, which again is a very unusual line to draw because the same person who will say, oh, I couldn't possibly get a vaccine for these things in them will then more than happily go to the supermarket and buy things that, you know, definitely aren't good for you. <laughs> um, uh, that, that's it's worth remembering true. that the chemicals that go into a vaccine, the ones that sound unusual, are in such tiny amounts. And considering you get two doses of a vaccine and that's it, uh, that, again, it, it doesn't make any sense for that to be the reason. Uh, that you don't get a vaccine. Now, another one of the, the myths that, that I've heard around the playground, uh, I've, I've literally heard this from the mother of one of my uh, daughter's friends, uh, was that they were scared that the vaccine was actually going to uh, give them COVID uh, and then change their uh, genes. It was actually going to change their body on a genetic yeah. level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's Again, I think that's just a really good example of science that just isn't understood. Yeah. And I guess in a way, why, why would it? Um, but yeah, we're not um, all sort of microbiologists or chemists. Exactly, yeah. you're right. Um, but, uh, and so it's worth kind of explaining the kinds of vaccines that there are. So you have vaccines that are called live vaccines, and they actually do have a little bit of whatever the virus is in it. But it's just enough that when it's in your body, it triggers a reaction in your body's immune system so that your body remembers that. Because your body is constantly categorizing all of the things that's coming into it as good or bad. So you can put a little bit of the actual virus in the vaccine, or you can simulate the vaccine, uh, sorry, the, the virus in, in one way or another. And what they've done with the coronavirus is they've created these um, vaccines that have the same sort of chemical makeup as the virus, but it isn't the virus. And so the body sees that and then reacts in a way as though it was an actual virus. That's it. If you were to be exposed to it in reality, your body would be ready, locked and loaded, the troops would be armed, they'd know exactly what to do, and that's why you wouldn't get sick. 
like a training ex- exercise for the army. Basically, exactly. they don't use live rounds, nope. uh, but they still practice shooting so that when they have to shoot, they know how to shoot. And uh, yeah. that's kind of how it works with your antibodies. And <laughs> just picking up on that, I, I love it because, you know, this whole, again, going back to the herd immunity conversation and the idea that your own immune system should be able to kind of fend for itself and expose itself to the vi- virus and then kind of learn to cope. Well, actually, that's exactly what's happening with the with the vaccine. It's not like you're injecting a defense into yourself. You are stimulating a natural process that happens within the body. So that's what happens. And it's it's exactly the same thing, even with a, you know, an RNA version of the vaccine. So that when the virus comes and you're exposed to it, your body's natural defense will fight it. So it's kind of like just speeding up that process really in a safe way without, you know, the need for your body to go into shock because it's being attacked by hundreds of cells of something that are very aggressive and could kill you um you know it, it, basically what they've done is they've taken the odds of being attacked by like 250 people and they've gone what if you're only attacked by like a really 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 small toddler yeah exactly. probably be able to defend yourself absolutely and, and i'm assuming that's how taekwondo works as well it is you don't absolutely. necessarily have to beat the big guy as long as you can beat a tiny child then you'll have the same sense of confidence and power. So when the well, big guy comes, you'll be ready to take him down. The principle here is learn to fight soft so that you can fight hard, but don't get punched in the face too early. Otherwise, you might not learn how to fight. Absolutely. And that should be written on the side of every vaccine bottle, uh, vaccine, uh, bottle right there. But there are some very unusual reasons why some people won't get vaccinated. Yes, I was, I was literally thinking the same thing, Alex. I was thinking... But we haven't discussed the, the, the giant quandary of whether or not Bill Gates is behind a giant conspiracy to insert <laughs> microchips into our arms. Oh, um, and don't forget 5G. I'm oh, so looking 5G, forward. Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting my vaccine so I can get better signal on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, honest, honestly, like, look at the facts and look at what the Bill and Miranda Gates Foundation is doing to stop diseases in Africa and how successful they've been and how their initiative has effectively halved world poverty in the last sort of 15 years. And not to and forget you... their battle against malaria. Yeah. If malaria is ever properly abolished, it will be in, entirely almost down to those guys. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible the amount of work that they have done as philanthropists. And, you know, whatever you think about, uh, you know, their, their practices or their business or whatever, I, I promise you the, the idea of the idea that somehow he is the head of some global conspiracy to insert microchips through a vaccine. Why, why now? Why, why microchips have been around for a while, guys. How come this is the first vaccine that the microchip thing has come out from? And what's the connection between Bill Gates and the coronavirus vaccine, other than the fact that he probably and we don't, I don't know, but probably donated a whack of money so that people could try and find the vaccine, which, by the way, a hundred other, you know, very rich benefactors probably did too. So why him? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's just bizarre to me. And that's, not, that's just, that's also not how microchips work. Yeah. What, what is a microchip going to do inside you? Unless it has some kind of incredible eternal power source, which it won't have. What's it going to do? It's not going to broadcast anything. With what power? Uh, it's that science thing. It's that old-fashioned science thing of what is a microchip going to do exactly? Yeah. Um, and what is 5G? What do radio waves do to you? Considering we're sitting here with Wi-Fi. Everyone's got Wi-Fi in the house. 
and yeah. we're fine. You know, yeah. we're all, we listen to the radio. You don't go, oh my goodness, what is it doing to me? So, um, you know, it's probably a good point to wrap on, which is that I think we should be teaching better science at school. <laughs> <laughs> or listening during science at school. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I, I really hope this has helped uh, to anyone, uh, to, to, to the listener. I hope this has helped both the serious stuff and the, as we would say, silly stuff. But, you know, all of it really, that, that I hope it's been encouraging and I hope it's been helpful and I hope it's been constructive um, because uh, we are living in a very unique uh, point in history. And one of the ways we're going to get through this uh, pandemic uh, on top of all the lovely mask wearing and hand washing and all that stuff is to get a vaccine. It is the best, most effective way for all of us on this planet, this little uh, global home of ours, uh, for us to beat this. So I hope that this episode has helped to encourage you and to motivate you and to give you hopefully some peace of mind that the uh, coronavirus vaccine is a good thing and it's going to save a lot of lives. And hey, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you work for the NHS, big chair out to you you know we we're we're just doing our little job to try and support the hard work that you guys are doing uh we may only have a few listeners that listen to us but we're trying to do our bit for the sake of all the hard work and effort that you're putting in to keep people safe so thanks so much for that um i just a final point as well if you have been subjected to other conspiracy theories that maybe we haven't addressed or other questions that you think are legitimate, do feel free to drop us an email at 3p at andoverbaptist.org.uk. We'd love to look into that for you, uh, particularly if it's of a spiritual nature, if, if people are saying that Christians should be against vaccination for some sort of reason, you know, I'd really be happy to have that conversation with you because that's a whole nother topic, really. Yeah. Um, but just rest assured that I, as a pastor, I'm saying to you, it's, I, I think it's completely safe for you to get the coronavirus vaccine. That That is actually really encouraging to hear. And yeah, drop us a line and join us for the next episode because as long as this pandemic is going, so are we. Thank you once again for listening uh, to Rob and to myself. And we very much look forward to having you uh, with us in the next episode.